Okay, so um, what we're saying this weekend is that Jesus is, is never without water. In the same way the, the earth's surface is covered by 71% water, sometimes it feels as if 71% of the Bible is water. There's water everywhere. And water always means something, right? It's never just water. And so last night we looked at the waters of baptism. And we saw that the waters actually tell us who we are. When we're disoriented, when we feel dead, when we feel confused, we can go back to our baptism. We can go back to Jesus' baptism and remember what we have in Christ. We have a new righteousness, we have a new power, and we have a new identity. Okay? But baptism is actually the first chapter, the very beginning of your life. That is to say, your life continues long after your baptism. And so this morning, I want to look at that journey with Christ, a journey that Christians have always called discipleship. Discipleship. So this morning we're going to look at the waters of discipleship. We're going to look at three things about discipleship. The discipleship involves authority, it involves an epiphany, and it involves a trajectory. See, they rhyme, right? You've got authority, you've got epiphany, and you've got trajectory. Those are the three things I want us to see. Okay? So let's read Luke 5 now together, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish And their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they both began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God of James and John and Peter. You're the God of Sarah and Hannah and Mary. And this morning we pray that you might be our God. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So first point, authority. So a number of years ago, there was a, there was a uh, the, the company Beats by Dre, right, the headphone company, released this ad campaign called Hear What You Want to Hear. And if you remember the ads, there were three different ads, and they involved, each one involved one athlete. So there was an ad with Kevin Garnett, there was an ad with uh, Colin Kaepernick, and there was an ad with Richard Sherman. These are all kind of controversial, outspoken athletes. And the, the different ads, one of the athletes would be walking down a tunnel, kind of leaving the stadium to get on the bus. 
And as they did so, there was this line of crowd on either side of the aisle, and, they were, and the crowd would just be yelling things at them, right? Yelling these hateful things, telling them that they're washed up, that they suck, and whatever it might be, right? And each of the athletes is just stoically walking down, trying to ignore the crowd. And then all of them get on the bus, and they put on their headphones. And when they put on their headphones, suddenly the noise of the crowd is gone. There's silence. And then the music starts. And then the tagline appears. Hear what you want to hear. Hear what you want to hear. Hear what you want to hear. And the first question that Luke 5 raises for us this morning is what do you hear? In other words, who or what do you listen to? In verse 1, you notice a crowd has gathered on the shores of Lake Gennesaret, and it says that they have gathered to hear the Word of God. They've gathered to hear Jesus. See, what's happening is we're at the beginning of Luke. Jesus has recently begun his public ministry, he's, and word has gotten out about Jesus, right? Word has gotten out that he's a good teacher, he's a good preacher, and so a crowd has gathered to hear him. But Luke 5 is not about the crowds. And it is not about what they want to hear. Luke 5 is about Peter. Luke 5 is about Peter and what he hears. And Jesus, you'll see, begins speaking to Peter in verse 3. In verse 3, it says, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the shore. Put out a little from the shore. Why? Well, on one level, what Jesus is asking Peter is practical, right? There's this crowd that is gathered on a beach. And they're pressing in and pressing in. There's no more room on the shore. And so Jesus needs to get in a boat to create space. Evidently, if you go to this lake, Lake Gennesaret, to this day, there are lots of inlets along the shore, these steep banks that kind of create these, these chambers or these amphitheaters. And so you can be standing on the shore and someone could get out on, in a boat and put out a little from the shore and be talking to you from a distance, but it reverberates. It's like they're right next to you. So practically, that's what's happening. But on another level, when Jesus says put out a little from the shore, something deeper is going on here. Notice, first of all, that there are two boats on the shore. There are two boats. There's not one. There are two. Which is to say, Jesus could have picked either boat. But he picks Peter's. Because, friends, Jesus in Luke 5 is after Peter. Jesus is after him. At first, Peter is on the shore with the crowd. He's washing his nets. He's minding his own business. But then Peter puts out a little from the shore. A little from the shore. The waters are still shallow. He can still see the bottom of the lake. He can still see the safety of the shore. But then in verse 4, Jesus tells Peter to put out into the deep. And what we see is that the further that Peter gets from the land... And the more he puts out into the deep of the water, the harder it is for him to trust Jesus and trust his word and trust his authority. Jesus in verse 4 says, put out into the deep. And it is at this point that Peter begins to object. Do you see it? He says, Master, no. Why does he object? Well, the first reason he objects is because Peter's the fisherman here, right? Like, Jesus is a good guy, he's a good teacher, he's a good carpenter, but there's only one fisherman in the boat. And so Peter's saying to Jesus, stay in your lane. 
But secondly, Peter and his friends have already spent all night fishing. It's morning now, and they haven't caught a thing. So Peter objects. He says to Jesus in the first half of verse 5, Master, we toiled all night, and we took nothing. And because it's a narrative, we don't know how much time passed between the first half of verse 5 and the second. It's easy to imagine Peter finishing his objection, and then there being a pause, a sort of awkward silence, in which Jesus stares at Peter, saying nothing, and Peter stares back at Jesus, saying nothing, growing uncomfortable. But in this silence, in this pause, from the first half of verse 5 to the second, something is happening. Discipleship is happening. Peter is deciding who to trust, who to listen to, who to follow. Is it going to be himself or is it going to be Jesus? Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Pause, pause, pause. But at your word, I will let down the nets. At your word, at your word, on your authority, because you said so. And so here's the question for you this morning, okay? The question is, is there anything in your life that you're doing simply because God asks you to do it? Something that is difficult. Something that you don't like. Something that you don't fully understand. Because if you are not taking God at his word in your life, you are taking someone or something else at theirs. If you're not taking God at his word, someone or something else has a word over you. There's someone or something else in your life that says to you, do it, and you do it. No questions asked, right? See, growing up, our authority is our parents, right? And this is as it should be. Our parents are our authority, but then when we go off to college... Really, like, everything is open to us. You have this new freedom, and you can choose really whatever authority you want, whatever voice you want to listen to, hear what you want to hear. And for most of us today, in the year year 2020, as college students in North America, our authority is us. How many of you saw the Disney movie Moana? Okay, so if you haven't seen Moana... Here's all you need to know about Moana. Moana is about Moana, okay? And by the end of the movie, Moana is singing a song entitled, I Am Moana. And here's what the song is about, okay? The song is about Moana. So to recap, at the end of a movie about Moana... Moana is singing a song to herself about herself, okay? Like, that's what's happening at the end of Moana. And friends, like, this, like, this is our world. Like, you don't say this is Moana, but you say this is Jordan, greatest showman. This is me. Do what feels right. Trust your gut. Follow your instincts. Be yourself. Follow your dreams, and you'll be fine. And in this world, it can be very, very hard 
to trust Jesus, to trust God, to trust His Scriptures, to trust His church, when something is said that you don't immediately like, something about sex, something about gender, something about money, something about marriage or divorce, something about what's okay and what's not okay. We like God. We like the Bible. We like the whole business. But then, the second he begins to ask something hard from us, we don't like it so much. We don't like it so much. And then in that moment, it reveals for us, like Peter, what we are really trusting and what we are really listening to. For others of us, Our authority isn't so much our feelings and our insides as it is something that is outside of you, right? Something outside of you that you love. Something outside of you that you believe will give you a full life. So guys, I know many of you are in fraternities. Think about fraternities for a second. When you're a fraternity pledge, you will do whatever one of the brothers asks you to do, right? So if a fraternity brother asks you to, if he says to you, bring me pizza, you bring him pizza. Like a fraternity brother says to you, massage my feet. You're going to massage his feet. Whatever he asks you to do, you do it. Because you believe that fraternity will offer you a full life, a full college experience. It will give you what you want. Or think about school. If it's Sunday morning and you have three tests coming up on Monday, you aren't going to church. Okay, Because school offers something more compelling and more beautiful to you than the church. School offers success, it offers performance, it offers money, it offers possessions. But what does church offer? Or think about addictions for a second. Alcohol. Alcohol promises you acceptance. It promises to numb your pain. So when the bottle or the can says to you, drink, you drink. Or pornography. Pornography promises you pleasure. It promises to make you feel desired and wanted. So when porn says to you watch, you watch. Or some kind of destructive relationship in your life that says you come back and you keep coming back. Whatever you believe will give you a full life, you will follow. And it will be your authority and you will do its bidding. So the first part of discipleship is to simply ask, who or what do I follow? And do I see Jesus more as a life coach, as a guidance counselor, as a man who gives me good advice on how to live, or is he a Lord? Is he a master? And Peter, in our passage, is about to see who Jesus really is. Point two, epiphany. So let's go back to our text. You'll see at the end of verse five that after the pause. After the awkward silence, Peter reluctantly agrees to put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. And then starting in verse 6, something amazing happens. Look at it. It says, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both the boats, so that they both began to sink. Friends, What is happening here is an epiphany. Jesus is epiphanied before Peter and his disciples. Epiphany. That's an English major word, right? Epiphany. What does it mean? It means revelation. For something to be epiphanied to you, it's revealed to you. 
It's a moment in your life when it's as if the scales fall from your eyes and you suddenly see something that might have always been there, but you see it in a way you've never seen it before. And two things are epiphany to Peter here in this passage, okay? Jesus' fullness and his own futility. Fullness and futility. Jesus' fullness and his own futility. Look at the fullness part. Verse 6. In verse 6, Peter catches so many fish that he has to signal to his partners in the other boat to distribute all of the weight. It says they came and filled both the boats so that they both began to sink. And y'all, Peter here in verse 6, he's undone. He's undone. He is quite literally drowning. He's gone from the shore to the shallow waters to the deep, and now he is sinking and he is drowning and he is going under. But it's interesting because what we see in verse 8 is that Peter isn't so much scared by the weight of the fish as he is scared by the weight of Jesus. He's not scared by the weight of the fish in the boat. He's scared by the weight of the man who is in the boat with him. And so he looks at Jesus, he turns his eyes from the fish to the man, and he says, get out. Depart from me. Go away. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Lilia, do you want to say, do you want to say anything? Woo! Okay, there you go. All right. So I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and Memphis gets a lot of tornadoes, Okay. A lot of tornadoes. And as a child, like, my biggest fear was tornadoes. I was terrified of tornadoes, okay? And, you know, so I have all these memories of having to, like, go in the closet under the stairs. And, and in springtime, you know, I have all these memories of, of watching March Madness, of watching the NCAA basketball tournament, like, in March and in April at the kind of the height of tornado season. And there being, like, these tornado warnings flashing up on the screen. So, like, to this day when I watch March Madness, I get, like, a little sweaty because it's like, are we okay? Like, is there going to be a tornado? What's happening? But there will always be tornado warnings that time of year. And I know there was even a tornado in Spartanburg a few weeks ago, right? Like, Matt and I were going on a run, and we saw all the damage. And, y'all, like, tornadoes are terrifying, okay? Like, they're destructive, and they're terrifying. But as I get older... I'm still afraid of tornadoes, but I'm also fascinated by them. And as I get older, I kind of get why there are people whose life is an obsession is like to chase storms and chase tornadoes. Because there's something about storms, there's something about tornadoes that like is a both terrifying, but also transfixing. When a tornado comes, you want to get away and you want to watch. It's both. And here in our passage, Peter has come into the presence of something that is like a tornado. This man who both terrifies him and transfixes him. And that man is God. The fullness of the boats, the fullness of the nets, reveal to Peter that he is in the boat with God. That he is in the boat with a man who is full of mercy and is full of forgiveness, but is also full of power. And so I want to ask you, have you ever experienced God like this? Have you ever felt like the weight and the fullness of God pressing down on you? Have you ever seen God not just as your 
buddy or as a type of Santa Claus, but something like a tornado, something that is holy and something that is all-consuming, something that both draws you in and is like a little bit terrifying. Because if you haven't, if you haven't experienced God in this way, I do want to invite you to pray an actually dangerous prayer. And that is that God would reveal himself to you in all of his glory and all of his power. In all of his fullness. Okay? So the first thing Epiphany into Peter's is fullness. But also his own futility. So my wife um, is Texas through and through. Okay? She grew up in Dallas. She went to the University of Texas. She's one of these Texas people that talks about how amazing Texas is, right? And um, after she graduated from the University of Texas, she got away for one year. She went and spent a year over in Oxford, England. But then she came back to Dallas. That's what Texas does. It sucks you back in, right? And um, we kind of call that Emily's, like, lost year. It's this year in which she was trying to figure out what she wanted to do. And so she, you know, she got a couple of jobs, one working as an office assistant. She also worked at Whole Foods there in Dallas. She was just trying to figure everything out, okay? It was a year of futility for her. And one night, this woman named Nanny, an old family friend of my wife's family, came over to the house. And Nanny is this amazing woman. She's out now probably in her mid to late 60s, and she's very honest. She's very to the point. And Nanny sat across the kitchen table from my wife as Emily shared with her, like, the futility of this year. How she just couldn't figure out her future. She couldn't figure out what she wanted to do. And Nanny looked at her across the table and leaned in. And she said, honey, whatever you're doing, it's not working. And that's become this kind of joke or phrase in our house. That occasionally Emily and I will look at each other and we'll be like, honey, whatever you're doing, it's not working. Okay, and, and like that is what you see with the disciples in this passage. If you look back at the text, whatever they're doing, whatever is happening in their life, it is not working. Okay, look at it. Peter and his friends have just spent all night fishing and catching nothing. And like fishing is their job. It's how they make money. It's how they support their families. And they've completely failed. This is the equivalent of you, you know, going to the library on a Saturday morning, and you sit down to write a paper, and after three hours, you've written like one or two sentences, right? Like, that's like a nightmare. Whatever the disciples are doing, it's not working. And friends, the disciples' futility here in this passage is a picture of our own futility. It is a picture of our own futility when we attempt to live life apart from God. Okay, Trying to find fullness apart from God is like fishing all night and catching nothing. And some of you know what this is like. Because some of you have spent years of your life searching for happiness. Searching for peace, security, comfort, and something other than God. And you know what it is like to end up right back where you started. Let's call it worldly or secular futility. It's looking for fullness out there. Okay? But others of you know a different type of futility, and that's religious futility. Religious futility, which is to say, it's trying to, trying to live a good or moral life apart from God. You go to church, be a nice person, do your quiet times, follow rules, but ultimately, 
as godly as you appear, you are trusting in you. And you're trusting in yourself to make yourself right with God. The person you trust, the person you really think about is you. So whether it's fishing for worldly fullness out there or, or, or sort of moral righteousness in here, we all need to realize that apart from God, we're fishing all night and catching nothing. And this is what Peter realizes in verse 8. Look at what he says. He says, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man, Peter says. I'm not a moral man. I'm not a good guy. I'm not a man who's doing okay on his own. I'm a sinner. I'm one who's needy. I'm one who's empty. I'm one who's sick. I'm one who needs a doctor. And friends, this is the good news of Christianity, okay? That left to ourselves, we are like Peter. We fish all night and catch nothing. We are sinners caught in a boat with a God who is holy. And yet, God comes to us in our moments of greatest failure, and he meets us, and he helps us. Y'all, God is not a God who helps those who help themselves. That is not who he is. That might be the God of Wofford, that God will help you if you, if you like work along with him. But in the Bible, God is a God who can, for those who cannot help themselves. For those who fish all night and catch nothing. Those who are sinners. Those who cannot help themselves. Those are the people that God loves to meet and loves to rescue and loves to reveal himself to. Okay. And when you see this type of God, when you see his majesty and his power, but also his grace, it changes you. It changes the whole trajectory of your life. So let's look finally, point three, trajectory. Returning to the passage one more time, I want you to see something in verse nine. But before you do, quick story. So uh, Matt and I have this friend named Mike. And Mike is uh, the RUF campus minister at the University of Arkansas. And Mike is amazing. Um, Arkansas, where is Kinsley? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Arkansas. Oh, gosh. Are we doing it? Or is that what we're doing? Okay. Um, so, Mike um, is married to this woman named Deanna. And uh, when, when Deanna and Mike were dating, uh, one, one weekend they had a wedding. They had a wedding that was going to be on a Saturday. And so that Thursday... Uh, Deanna wanted to go and buy a new dress for this wedding they were going to. Okay, so they went to the mall to uh, to buy a dress for Deanna. And uh, Mike, you know, they went into the store, and Deanna went back into the changing room to change into the dress. And Mike kind of sat outside, sitting on the bench or whatever. And when Deanna came out in the dress, Mike was just undone. He was like undone by her beauty. And suddenly in that moment, he was like, I have to marry this girl. Like, I have to. I can't not. And so, y'all, this is on a Thursday. And so here's what Mike went and did, okay? (laughs) On Friday, on Friday, he went and bought a ring. (laughs) On Saturday, he went to Deanna's dad and said, can I marry her? And then on Sunday, at sunrise, he asked Deanna to marry him. (laughs) Things turned fast okay but what you see that's exactly what you see in our passage because if you look at verse 9 Peter and his friends they have just gone from having the worst work day of their life 
to having one of the best. They've gone from catching no fish to catching all the fish. It says they're astonished at the catch of fish. And if it was you or me, here's what we would do. We would go back into the village to cash out. We'd go back to the village and tell our wives, find a babysitter because we are going out to dinner, right? We look at our kids and say, you can get the ear pods or whatever you want, right? Like this is the best day of their working lives. But instead, what do the disciples do? They do something interesting. Verse 11, when they brought their boats to land, when they get back to the shore, when they get back into town, they left everything and followed him. They left everything. What all do the disciples leave behind here? Well, first of all, they leave behind success. They finally caught their big break at work and they're deciding to leave now. It would be like your boss giving you a promotion and you're like, thank you, but I'm leaving. Okay. Second of all, they leave their job. Fishing is all they've ever been. But Jesus gives them this new job in verse 10. He says, from now on, you won't be catching fish, but catching men. Which is to say, your primary job, Peter, James, John, now, is no longer to fish, but it's to preach my gospel. It's, It's to go out into the world and cast a net and see who will listen and who will come in. But third of all, and this goes back to last night, their identity changes. Peter and his friends live in a fishing village. Their grandfathers were fishermen. Their fathers were fishermen. Fish is all that they know. Fishing isn't just their job. It's who they are. It's like like in Memphis. um, My dad, uh, for the longest time, was a managing partner of this accounting firm called Reynolds Bone and Greaseback. And that's my last name, Greaseback. And so my great-grandfather was a public accountant. My grandfather was a public accountant. My dad and all of his brothers were public accountants, and I decided to become a pastor. (laughs) Right? Like, they all do, like, numbers and digits, and I'm, like, poetry and words or whatever, right? And, and like, 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 I don't tell you that story to say, like, how awesome I am, but to say, like, I was weird. And for the disciples here, like, something weird and strange is happening for them. Like, Everyone knows them as fishermen, and now they're going and saying, I followed Jesus, right? So when the disciples have this epiphany on the lake, they begin to say to the world, I follow Jesus now. Like, Jesus is my master. He's my teacher. The the orientation and trajectory of their life completely changes. And so here's my last question for you this morning, okay? And that is, what is the trajectory of your life? Because I know you have one. Like, you have some type of idea and vision for what you want your life to be, right? By being a student at Wofford College, like, you're in the 99.9 percentile, right? Like, change that. You're in the 1 percentile, right? Okay, um... The 0.1 percentile. Like, you're on the path to success. You're on the path of kind of upward social mobility. You're on, like, the bottom of the escalator now, but you're on the escalator, and you can ride it to the top. You can. And that's all fine. It's all well and good. Like, 
what Jesus is not saying in this passage is that you all need to go into ministry. That's not what he's saying. You would never hear me say that. You would never hear Matt say that. Go and be a doctor. Go and be a lawyer. Be a businessman, an English teacher, whatever you want to be. Go and do it. But what Jesus is saying is, do I fit into your trajectory at all? When you think about your life, do you think about me at all? Is Jesus even a factor? When you think about your life, when you think about your future career, when you think about your future spouse, your future home, your family, when you think about how you spend your weeks and your days and your weekends, does Jesus cross your mind? And increasingly, on the college campus, he doesn't. Um, So... I'm going to show you all something real quick. So, do you all know what this is called? Do you know what this is called? I found this in the closet back there. Do you know what this is called? It's called a map, right? And so maps are something that people used to use to uh, figure out where they wanted to go, right? And so maps have these really interesting things called like a scale, which is kind of some kind of numbers thing. And they have like a compass, And you can't read a map, you know, historically, you couldn't know where you're going without a map, without a scale, and without a compass. And that compass couldn't work, right, unless it was properly attuned to true north, right? So ultimately, all your trajectory, your orientation in the world was dependent upon true north. But now, we don't have maps, we have this, right? So we have this, we pull out our Google Maps, and Google Maps, like, you don't need scale, you don't need compass, you don't need true north. Because in Google Maps, the center is not the true north, it's just you. It's wherever you are, right? So, you know, you're driving down, like, Palmetto or whatever in Spartanburg, and it's just like, it's just you, you're the center. You're the center. No compass, no map, no true north, it's just you. And, like, that's the culture you're living in now, okay? Like, there's no, like, true north. If there is a true north, it's definitely not Jesus. So, again, the question is, when you think about your life and the direction of your life, (laughs) does Jesus factor in at all, okay? Second question I want to ask as we close, and that is this. What might it look like in your life to put out into the deep? Remember again the trajectory of our passage. Jesus has led Peter from the comforts of the shore into the shallow waters and then into the deep. What is the deep? The deep is any place where you no longer have control of your life. It is a place where you cannot see the bottom of the waters. You cannot see the shore It's a place where you no longer simply hear what you want to hear. It's a place where Jesus seems to reveal himself to us in new ways. But again, the deep is the place where you have no control. And there's some things in your life, in all of our lives, that you do need to leave behind in order to put out into the deep with Jesus. Okay? Like some of you, most of us, have something in our life, someone in our life, that we care way too much about what they think about us. Some of you are freshmen, 
And um, you still care way too much about your parents. When you've gone to college, they're, like, they're probably paying for your college, and so you do have, like, as long as you're on their tab and on their bill, you have to listen to them to an extent, right? But in other ways, like, you might be way too attached to your parents in some ways. And so Christian maturity might look like you putting out a little bit from them. For others of you, it might be a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a friend, something in your life, right? Your fraternity, sorority, something that you care just way too much. Their voice has way too much sway over your life, and you need to put out from them, okay? That's just one example. I'll let you do the work in imagining what you might need to leave behind on the shore to put out into the deep with Jesus. But whatever it is, as you do, as you think about that, know this, that however however scary that might feel, Jesus says to you what he says to Peter in verse 10, and that is don't be afraid, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because when you put out into the deep, Christ is there. Don't be afraid because Christ has already gone into the deep himself. Don't be afraid because Christ never asks you to do something he hasn't already done. Christ is the one who left behind far more than you could ever leave at the shore. He left behind the riches of heaven He left behind glory and honor. He left everything behind. He left behind his very life for you to put out into the deep so that you could be there with him and see him in all his glory and all his grace. Okay? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God of Peter, James, and John. And so we ask again that you would be our God. We ask that we might more and more see you as you really are, that you would reveal yourself to us by your grace, by your scriptures, by your bread and your wine, by your baptism, and by a community like RUF, in which we have these little images of you in our midst and in this room. So reveal yourself to us more and more, that we might put out into the deep with you. In your son's name, amen.